2: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Our guest today, Paul Denniston, is the founder of Grief Yoga. It's a fascinating program that blends hatha yoga, physical yoga, breath work, and sound to release pain and suffering and connect to love. His new book is out on January 18th, and it's entitled Healing Through Yoga transform loss into empowerment. Paul Denniston, welcome to Spirituality and Health Podcast.
1: Thank you, Rami. Good to be here.
2: Very happy to have you here for lots of reasons. But, you know, if you just look at the notion of just just juxtaposing the words grief and yoga together, I, I think could speak volumes to the listeners because we are now in going into the third year of this pandemic, there is a lot of grief going on in in people's lives. And it seems to me that, though this is not why you wrote the book, as far as I can tell, there's a lot of value in the book just to help people get through the everyday, uh, I don't wanna say grief again, but the everyday trauma even of this whole pandemic. So I guess a quick question before we, we get into some more meaty things. Did you do you find that the I say the value of the book or the range of what the book might address has ex- expanded as you wrote it,
1: given the pandemic? I think that the pandemic has made us identify grief in a bigger way because we have we're experiencing it individually and collectively in this world. I think that there's more of an openness with the discussion compared to maybe like, I don't want to go there. I think people are really addressing it. And I I think it's it's a recognition about how we're holding also a lot of pent up emotions within our body too. And I believe that healing needs motion. And the heart, of what yoga is is really about compassion and what i believe that grief is is really love it's an expression of love if i choose to love in this lifetime then grief is a part of the process but right. i also sometimes think we need to find ways to move the struggle and the pain through
2: yeah i i think i mean i think most people would agree that if you dare to love, you're going to dare to lose. I mean, it's just that, that risky. And there's just pain involved in any relationship, I suppose. I like what you just said, though, about, and I don't know if you actually said it this way, but this is how I heard it, that emotion needs motion. That if you're not moving, and, and that's where I think the yoga comes in for me when I'm looking at Gabork, that if you're not moving, the emotion gets damned up.
1: And, Emotion, and, I believe, is energy in motion. And yet, I think as we become adults, we judge specific emotions as maybe, you know, good and bad, you know, to feel, you know, loved and grateful are good. But when you're feeling sad or angry or, or guilty or ashamed, those are considered bad emotions. And so what happens is I think that then we don't know how to release them and they become suppressed. And I, for personally, spent decades trying to run away from these challenging emotions. And then, as I entered a yoga practice, both as a student and as a teacher, it really was um, a, a place for me to recognize: oh, these are all suppressed within me. You know, the body remembers this this pain and this trauma. And so, what I really wanted to develop was a practice using yoga, movement, breath, and sound that instead took the pain and channeled it through in empowering ways that allowed us to feel more more love, more empowerment, more happiness and purpose.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure there is such a thing as a... There certainly are emotions you don't want, but they're not bad emotions. They're just emotions you don't want emotions I think that are... they're
1: not bad emotions at all. I think that but I think that perhaps maybe due to how we grew up, we might have been taught look, i I grew up as a kid in Texas. My father was a Baptist minister. So I was taught that sadness was, you know, a very vulnerable thing that you know, men aren't supposed to cry. Just go do something about it. My sister was taught good girls aren't supposed to be angry. So I think that what happens is just how we've been raised. Sometimes we don't know how to deal with these challenging emotions. And I recognize for my sister, you know, she passed away from cancer four years ago. And I also was able to witness she had a lot of love in her life, but she also had a lot of suppressed anger that she didn't know what to do with that then manifested and created, you know, a lot of dis-ease in her body. So,
2: you know, I wanted wanted to go back and and delve a little bit more into your upbringing, but I, because you talk about it openly in the book, and I I think it helps to, it'll help all of us to understand where this book is trying to take us. But I didn't know about your sister. So I want to pick up on that. And then I want to talk about your dad. So if you want to lie yeah, down for these sessions on the couch, you know, you can do that.
1: I'm and, laying and, down on the couch now. <laughs> right, and I'll, and I'll send you a bill. But Thank you, Dr. Rami.
2: You're welcome. So, uh, are you suggesting that, I mean, it's one thing from, for me to, to agree that your sister's cancer was, let's say, amplified, her ability to cope with her situation was weakened by all the Repressed anger, if that's how we're going to put it. But, but, do you want to go so far as to say the anger caused
1: the cancer? No, no, no. Please don't. Please don't let me let me clarify that. Yeah, I you didn't not,
2: say that. I just wanted to make sure I didn't okay. hear that.
1: Stop putting words in my mouth. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think that the suppressed anger caused the cancer. But I will recognize that. Here's the thing. Um, within my family, let's say, my father being, you know, I would witness how he would suppress his anger and then it would all of a sudden boil and then it would burst and it would be frightening for the family. It'd be frightening for him. I, you know, you learn from your parents. And so I was bullied as a kid. And so I would suppress it, suppress it. And then all of a sudden it would explode. I would beat kids up and I would you know, hurt them and I'm like, anger is dangerous, I'm gonna like, I, it's, I, I can't deal with it. And then what happened for me personally was then I suppressed it and I was harder on myself than anybody else was. So it's just an identifier that this emotion, needing motion, sometimes can then get stuck inside of us. Now, my sister, you know, I'm not saying that the, the, the anger caused the cancer, but I recognize that it was stuck inside of her because she didn't know how to release it. And it caused her a lot of dis ease in the final stages of her life, for sure.
2: Yeah. I, I have been with several people who were dying uh, from cancer and were incre- incredibly angry, not over the cancer. They were just angry people who never learned how to process their feelings. And their death. Again, the anger didn't cause the cancer, and their their death was sim- seemed to me their death was unnecessarily un, uh, painful to them because they they allowed their anger to rule their dying as opposed to allow love to rule their dying. what the reason I asked you for the clarification was I was once at a breast cancer awareness dinner, and it was a long, long time ago, and I was a friend of the Guest of honor, this woman who was who was dying of breast cancer, but spent many many years on breast cancer awareness. And anyway, we were sitting at the head table, and another woman at the table leaned over to my friend, the recipient of this award, and she said, "You must be a very angry woman." Hmm. And my friend said, "Why would you say that?" And she said, "Because only angry women get breast cancer." (laughs) Oh, God! So I was. I got so angry at that moment. I almost got breast cancer. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was just ludicrous. So I want to make sure our listeners aren't connecting the dots in in that way. You, you and I grew up with similar dads, in the sense of, and maybe this is a general. I don't know how old you are. Maybe this is a generational thing 51. for our fathers. Okay, so so different generation entirely. I'm in my seventies, but but my dad was was a very angry guy who would keep it bottled in until he exploded, and then. You know, everyone would run for the hills. And, and again, I learned, I learned something very similar from him. How did you move uh, from, from sort of this Texas Baptist household? Your dad was a minister. Your mom was a Christian school teacher. How did you move from that into yoga? How did you tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey?
1: So because I didn't know how to deal with these challenging emotions, a lot of the times what I would do is try to numb the, the feelings out through, through food but then as I traveled away, you know, I was a chubby little kid, but then I had to kind of like, you know, I think a lot of the times it's normal for us to move away from our our home to find our own identity. And as I, I moved to Chicago and then to Los Angeles, but one of the ways that I learned to cope was to, again, numb the feelings out. So That would be, you know, alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever it was to try to numb the pain. But I also recognized that I was in a lot of just, there was a storm within me. And I was trying to figure out how do I help myself here? And I thought, you know what, let me try yoga. Let me go experience a physical practice that might bring me more peace. And what it allowed me to do was, first off, it allowed me to become present. I wasn't being present. I was focusing on the past. I was had fear and anxiety of the future. And, you know, within this moving meditation of yoga, it allowed me to become present, but it also allowed myself to, you know, I think what happens on the mat can be a, a reflection of what's happening in life. And I was looking, I was comparing myself to everybody else thinking I wasn't enough. I was beating myself up and judging myself. And there was a part of my body that, was feeling so much inside that there was it was I was there was a place where I was literally trembling and I remember the teacher coming up to me and saying you know if you need to rest you can rest and there was a moment within that struggle that 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 moment of compassion and kindness that literally dropped me to my knees and I I had this this release that both my mind body and spirit was was craving and there was something as I started to continue to go back, I was like, where am I holding this in my body? And to start to get curious about that. And then as I became a teacher, one of the things I was drawn to as I was learning many different modalities of yoga was the the fact of how to create intentions for class. And so I think sometimes you teach what you need to learn. And I thought, you know what, what if I created an entire practice with the intention of how how can you move with these challenging emotions, whether they be grief or anger or guilt or shame, how how, how can we be with it and move it, but also find ways to release it that can be empowering and, 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 and help to heal the heart.
2: Yeah. And then the book certainly, is a clear path toward, you know, a an, an clear invitation, let's say, for the reader to do just that. I mean, so much of your story is similar to my own because I also took refuge in food. I, I ended up, I mean, I studied yoga, I studied all kinds of things, but they, I, I studied angry yoga <laughs> and <laughs> and sort of muscle your way through Zen Buddhist practice and it was, right. you know, it was all about ego. Uh, my, I finally confronted my my food situation in Overeaters Anonymous, but that took a long time to get there. It took a long time to get into the you know, in, into the program and what it was sharing. But it, it also is about I don't know accepting and then you know maybe releasing grief.
1: Well, and, and also I the, believe that anger is sadness's bodyguard. Sometimes we might not be able to really dive into the sadness it might be too much it might be too overwhelming and so i believe that an aspect of what grief is can be anger and here's the thing i think that anger can serve a purpose in our life anger can help us to say you know help us to take a stand and say enough is enough it can recognize when you know boundaries are being crossed there's a there's there can be a fire and a power to anger If it's used in constructive ways, you know, and there's ways that you know it can be destructive too. Whether it's you know turning it inward and being hard on ourselves, or dumping it onto people that we don't mean to. So I just recognize that that there is a power behind anger if it's used in healthy ways. Right, right. All of this stuff. Well, it's interesting because you talk
2: about transformation, and that in a sense. You're talking about taking the energy of, of anger, and it's still anger, but you're transforming it from self-destructive or other destructive, you know, like you said, unleashing it on, on people who don't deserve it. And then there's healthy anger, righteous anger, uh, heroic anger. There, there's, there's sure.
1: I mean, activists use anger right. as a way of creating change. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
2: So let's talk about the way your book is structured. So you have these five elements, what you call the cycle of compassionate transformation. And I, I realize there's a lot to unpack in there, but can you just sort of walk us through the five?
1: Yeah, so this is usually what's in a part of my my class and i broke it down within the book that it would go over the cycle and let me just share with you what the cycle is the first step within the cycle is is about awareness awareness of our breath awareness of the sensations within our body awareness of where we might be feeling pain or struggle within our body and ways to gently begin to move the body in a safe way moving the spine and deepening the breath. That's our first step, and it can even be a place of like accepting the struggle because we're gonna do something with it, but the first step is finding that awareness and curiosity of bringing the attention from the mind into the body and ways to befriend the body. The next step is called expression, and expression is using movement, breath, and sound to channel the pain through in empowering ways. It can connect us to our fire, but it's really about what if we used the, 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 the grief or the anger as fuel for healing. And then the next step of the cycle is then connection. And connection can happen in ways of finding connection within self or others or spirit, but the connection is as a way to take a moment to witness what is to witness maybe the grief and embrace flowing meditations that help us to connect to more love, grace, and gratitude that then moves us to a place of surrender where we begin to soften the mind and the body using techniques to just gently stretch the body, finding ways that we can still hold on to the love but perhaps to let go of the the pain and the fear, to find ways to lead us towards more peace. And then the final step then, evolution. And evolution is, after this loss, who am I now? Taking what happened and recognizing I'm still alive, I'm here for a reason. And these are using steps of movement, breath, and sound to help us to tap into more perseverance, techniques that allow ourselves to incorporate more play, and to find new purpose moving forward.
2: Okay. so. There is so much I want to know about each of these, but we don't have the time for that. So I want to pick on a couple things. <laughs> There's never just, enough time. Right. Never <laughs> enough time. But, I, but there are certain things that just, you know, the sort of the host's prerogative that, sure. that I'm interested in. So yeah, let's
1: go. Talk to, talk to us about sound okay yeah great question so here's the thing one of the ways that things get suppressed is is that we might not necessarily have the words to talk about it as i've taught this practice to like over ten thousand therapists and counselors who use these techniques with their clients they will literally share with me you know sometimes they can't really articulate what the regrets are about the, the 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 rage is about the the deep shame or sadness is about and so one of the ways that I incorporate that is is to use sound, the vibration of the voice. That can be anything from a or a powerful warrior incorporating movements that allow us to find those ways of sound. Sound can be anything from an organic space in expression. There's a technique called releasing the Y. It's where we'll use the sound of why and incorporating a movement behind it to help to take the suppressed frustration, anger, sadness to move it through with that organic sound. Perhaps that sound could be something that is like a vibrational voo of Woo, which was a technique that Peter Levine developed to help to calm the nervous system, especially when undergoing uh, trauma or people who are triggered. Sound could actually be from techniques from laughter yoga. Ha 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 Allowing endorphins to be released from the brain. So sound can happen in many different forms, but it's using that that space of— the vibration of the voice to help to release what is suppressed.
2: So it's interesting. It, it's what matters is, as I am understanding this now, the vibration of the voice, not the content of what's being vocalized. If you, if you, you know, if you're in therapy, talk therapy, and and you're asked to to articulate using a language, uh, whatever it is you're you're feeling or or whatever you're going through. There's a lot of limitation there, mm-hmm. but you're talking much more. I'm going to use the word primitive, primal, maybe, but but I don't want to get into primal scream no, therapy. True. That's not what I mean. But but something you know pre-verbal. Correct. Better. Like what if you
1: allowed the pain to have sound? You know, right. that's what I'm talking about. There's a technique and expression where it's called pounding out, and it's where literally if you know, let's say someone's in a lot of anger or have been betrayed or rage, we will take a pillow and begin to just pound out the pillow and I will invite them to either make a sound or whatever the, however the pain needs to have a sound to encompass that. And it's interesting, some people might have different sound. As some person is pounding on the pillow, they might have a laugh and that's okay. Whatever organically comes up. It is. It, you are correct, it is a primal way of allowing the vibration of the voice and sound to be expressed for, for ways that we might not have the words for. And the, the fact of the matter is, is sometimes once the sound happens, you might be able to talk a little bit more about it. Therapists have had many breakthroughs using this technique that then they'll, they'll be able to lead their client into saying, wow, you know, that was an insight for me. So sometimes just sound is a primal way of opening up the throat.
2: Oh, I think that's absolutely true. I think you see it maybe in different religions when they do chanting, especially when they're chanting in a language that the chanter doesn't necessarily understand. So a lot of times, you know, if, if you're Jewish and you go to a synagogue and they're chanting in Hebrew and you have no idea what they're saying, you can suggest maybe that's not the best way to run a religion when people don't know what you're saying. Or you right. could say, look, just, just surrender to the sound. Yes. There is something liberating about the sound. Or in the, in the Buddhist Heart Sutra, which is translated into so many different languages, at the end of the Heart Sutra, there's a Sanskrit mantra that's never translated. At least that's my experience, whether you're chanting it in Chinese or Japanese or or English, the Heart Sutra translations in in any of these languages, when you get to that closing line, you always uh, chant it in the original Sanskrit, even though most of the speakers may have no idea what it is they're chanting, because the sound itself carries some kind of liberating transformative vibration. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. And truly, the intention with behind this work is for emotional liberation for the student. And I recognize as doing this practice, so grief is as unique as someone's fingerprint. And everybody expresses and and does their their grief differently. And so what this is a practice that helps welcome the person in to say, What's your authentic expression here that 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 you can that you can find here? That's that's the intention behind it. Yeah,
2: I mean, it makes total sense. Um, I, I think that I mean, even when I read through the book, I, I I think just listening to you talk about some of these things uncovers more layers than I than I grasped just reading it through, and of course. People can't see the book, and it's not going to be out until January 18th, but the book is filled with photographs of, of the exercises that you're
1: invited to do, so you can actually see how to do them. And, and it's a practice that's not intended about physical flexibility. I'm being, you know, I'm certified in many different forms of yoga, and a lot of the people that, I come, that come to me with this practice are people who are like, I, I, I've never done yoga, I'm just in a lot of pain and I need help. So this is a practice that's more about emotional liberation than physical flexibility. So a lot of the, the the demonstrations within the book too, they serve whether you're doing this from a chair or a yoga mat or standing. It really kind of like helps whatever, you know, helps you to meet whatever whatever body you are in, it's a way of of, of you know, working with you in that way.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you you clarified that because I was gonna bring it up so people realize there's there's a lot more to this than taking a a a yoga class and and becoming more physically flexible. This is becoming and that that sounded a little flat. I don't I know there's so much more to yoga than that. But this (laughs) is this is about becoming emotionally flexible, spiritually flexible. That's right. Not specifically about about the physical. I want to guess in the little time we have left, I want to pick up on something you said. I don't know if it was a throwaway line, but uh, you, you said you, you you posed this question and you said, after loss, who am I? And the way it, it occurred to me was after you've let go of a a piece of grief or, you know, how you want to articulate that after you've worked through a loss, if you ever do, and, and you've gotten beyond allowing the loss to define you. Do you find when you're working with people that there's a tremendous fear about, well, then if I'm not defined by my loss and my grief, then who the hell am I?
1: Well, I, I recognize there's fear, no matter whether it's after loss or before loss. So I recognize mm-hmm. that that that's there. I think that I think it's important to recognize that that we are constantly changing, and if we are choosing to love, then loss will be a part of our experience. And I recognize that sometimes, after loss, there is a there is a possibility where it can break us down, and some people can't recover from it. And there's a possibility in space where it can crack us open. And there is a space where I'm going to, how am I going to move forward? You know, how, how, how let's, let's, I'm going to go back to my sister. You know, I, I, I miss my sister and who am I now after uh, her loss and how she passed away? I recognize how fragile life is. I recognize that nothing is permanent here. And I, cho- I want to keep her memory alive. And so in this space, I choose to continue to laugh because she loved my laugh. I continue to be of service to others because I witnessed her doing that. How can I keep her memory alive, letting her live on through me? So the loss impacted my life. And there's a possibility that something meaningful can grow from this, from the devastation.
2: Yeah, I I mean, absolutely. I'm wondering if you think, well, let me not do this. I mean, I'll tell you what I think, and then you can respond. I won't make you jump, you know, through my hoop. (laughs) But my own sense is that there is no me, exactly. I'm a construct, I'm a narrative, Um, the stories that I tell and what people, those stories people tell about me, but I'm really a fluid kind of entity, if if you even want to say entity, a a fluid kind of energy. And that loss and grief and transformation, it's, it's all part of the flow. And so it's not like I was X and then I lost X. It's that as soon as I was X, I'm already in the process of losing X. Right. So seemed to me, and this would be my last question, as I read through the book, it seemed to me you were sort of creating a fluidity in the reader, or the practitioner really, but a fluidity in the person, you know, engaging in the, the healing through yoga book that would allow the person to be whomever they emerge as being. For however they, they however long they emerge as that person, and then they flow into being someone else. That there's no fixed point that we're getting away from or getting toward. What what's your sense of that?
1: There's so much to unpack with that. I think that we are, you know, we're all moving towards our death, and that it, you know, there's a recognition that that I'm here and I'm alive, and that. I think that there is a fluidity that I'm inviting people to do because I recognized in my life so many times where I felt stuck and I didn't know how to move forward, whether that was through fear or guilt or shame or sadness or anger. I see that and I witness that within others, too. And for us to embrace that divine flow of life, it's really about. What are ways that we can move through it? Movement is healing. Healing needs movement. And so what are ways that we can explore that? Yeah, it's, it's not about trying to bypass the pain. You know, the, there's this philosophy with buffaloes. When the buffaloes ex- know that there is a storm that is coming, they don't run away from the storm. They run through the storm to minimize their time in the storm. And for myself personally, spending decades trying to run away from the storm, I have allowed myself instead to flow and to move with it and through it. And it has actually been a more meaningful journey in doing so.
2: Wow, that is a great image. And the title of your next book, Healing Through the Buffalo Way. (laughs) The Buffalo Way of Healing.
1: Healing Through the Buffalo Storm. (laughs) There you go. There you go.
2: (laughs) Our guest today, Paul Denniston, is the author of Healing Through Yoga, Transform Loss into Empowerment. The book is in the bookstores on
1: January 18th. And also, I just want to say, if anybody who orders it or purchases it, if they go to HealingThroughYoga.com, they get access to a free online companion course that will help support them in the book experience, giving them classes to help to learn how to move with it. Okay,
2: so that's a a real plus for Christmas. HealingThroughYoga.com, because you're uh, Paul's regular website is griefyoga.com. Correct. Is that, so you can find him at griefyoga.com. You can, if you pick up a copy of the book, you can then get the course at... HealingThroughYoga.com. HealingThroughYoga.com. So...
1: All kinds of things that you are offering people. In the and home. the healing through the buffalo storm.com is coming in 2023. <laughs> 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 sounds,
2: sounds good. Paul Denniston, thank you for talking with us on the Spirituality and Health Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: You've been listening to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share us on social media and tag us at Spirit Health Mag. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, where I write a regular column called Roadside Musings. Don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. The Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Mallory Corbin. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.